0: Welcome, everyone, to Outside Inside Radio. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, one of your co-hosts.
1: And I'm Ella Turin, and I'm one of your other co-hosts.
0: And we are very excited today to welcome Isaac Allen and Alex Greenbaum of the Hausman Quartet. Happy to be here. To our podcast.
2: Thank you for having
0: us. We're very excited. We wanted to ask you first off to talk about your, you know, your creative process as a musician, how you got interested in performing or making music and what inspired you basically to become a musician. Isaac, you want to go first?
3: Well, I have to rewind a really long time because I, I grew up around music. My great-grandmother, who was still alive at the time, was a pianist, and and I was surrounded from a really little age. It was important to my family music, so I always went to symphony concerts and concerts at, at the Chamber Music Festival that they made open to the public. I used to come sit there when I could barely be above the seats and listen to <laughs> listen to open rehearsals
0: where was this? Where did you go? In
3: Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, okay. And Chicago slightly before that, but I was really, really young in Chicago. Um, So I was surrounded by it. I really wanted to play an instrument. I first wanted to play piano. This was in Chicago, but we lived in a small apartment there and piano wasn't really going to fit into our lifestyle at that time. So uh, I was encouraged to play violin and picked it up and started taking lessons and got more and more into it until about high school when I was still into it, but also picked up a theater fascination. So I was a theater kid in in high school. I wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go, but ended up going to a performing arts school and chose music theater and kind of started to make that my life's work point or to get very serious about it. And since then I've been all over the country in different training programs from New York to Ohio and have really immersed myself learning from listening and uh, taking lessons and going to festivals and studying. So that's how I really kind of built my love for it. And I think very early on, we haven't maybe gotten to this yet, but um, chamber music was a a really big part of what I wanted to do. It wasn't something I decided later on. I think as soon as I had my first experience as a little kid playing very simple music with other people, art of collaboration was something that I already
2: really knew I wanted to do somehow later on in life.
0: And Alex, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think there are some common threads and parallels um, to Isaac's sort of origin story there. I also was very little um, when I started playing the cello. I mean, I wish I could tell you it was like I heard the sound of the instrument and I knew that that's the only thing I could do. But I think it was a little <laughs> less romantic. I, um, My father was a really a sort of classical music nut, you know, that was pretty much the, the soundtrack in the house from as early as I can remember. And he, he actually knew of a really great violin teacher who he had been recommended and wanted me to study with. And he took me when I was three years old to her and she already had too many students. So she said, there's a really great cello teacher here at mm-hmm. the school too, you have a cello. And I mean, this has all been relayed to me. I don't have any recollection of these conversations, but um, <laughs> I was, uh, and then I started and you know, it, it was um, sort of a version of the Suzuki method. So when you start, um, it wasn't even a cello. It was a cereal box with a ruler taped to it. And then uh, you use a dowel for the bow. So you're sort right. of getting physically uh, introduced to it first. But yeah, so I don't really have memories of a time in my life, you know, before I played the cello. So yeah, it was sort of every every Saturday was, was cello from the time I was three. And I don't know that I got, you know, particularly serious about it for a long time. Uh, it was always something that you know, I enjoyed uh, specifically the performing aspect and the getting to, you know, the way you collaborate and work and play with other people was always fun and rewarding, but I would say it wasn't till I got to late middle school or into high school when I sort of really started spending more time with it and considering, yeah, making a life of this. And um, I don't know, I think part of me, even at that point in high school thought, I had missed the boat. I was too late. I would. I grew up in um, New York and then in the suburbs in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So when I was twelve, I started going to the pro this program on Saturdays at uh, Juilliard, the pre college program. And I mean, it was great, but it was also sort of like quite intimidating. And there were sort of there's there's this like <laughs> yeah. group of kids who go there. Who I mean, not all of the kids like there are like this, but there's definitely a group that is sort of like the child prodigies who have been on this track since you know the beginning and like they knew when they were seven years old that they were gonna be violinists for the rest of their lives and I just you know as a 13 year old I was like oh I guess I missed the boat but you know (laughs) good thing I still get to play baseball and basketball a little bit too (laughs) but um no I but I realized then that I yeah I hadn't and during that time I also got to go like as Isaac mentioned to a few different um, institutes and festivals during the summer and get exposed to, yeah, lots of different kinds of people, lots of different kinds of music and different places. And, you know, all the sort of like, as I think the the doors that that opened, you know, like getting to play some of this music that I'd been, you know, listening to since I was little and was sort of a dream come true, getting to meet people, you know, getting to see, unbelievable parts of the world falling in love for the first time all that stuff i I think i can like sort of trace back to i mean i have no doubt some of those things probably would have happened even if i didn't play cello but um (laughs) but i definitely like it i feel like it was an incredible vehicle for me, along with being, you know, like artistically and spiritually rewarding as well.
0: Thank
1: you. So that both of you have had such an an interesting journey and different ways in which you encountered music, and some similarities as well. So can you talk a little bit about how the quartet came to be and where your lives sort of then intersected?
3: The quartet started when we were in undergrad in college as music students, originally with slightly different membership than we currently have now. But we were all part of, at the time, the two violinists, myself and Bram, and our violist and cellist at the time all studied with the same two teachers. It was a wife and husband who played violin and cello. And so they ran actually a music festival in New Jersey during the summers, mostly for their students. And some other students would come as well. But it was a very kind of small, intimate festival that was at my teacher's mother's house, who had a large house in New Jersey, and all all the students would sleep in different areas of the house, and we would get coachings and, and play almost exclusively chamber music together. And so I'd known all the people, we were good friends with the original quartet members, and I think the idea to form a quartet and play for more than just that summer came from multiple all-night sort of reading sessions with, you know, maybe a drink in hand, if I can say that, and... You can. <laughs> and... So yeah, reading through all of the famous quartet literature from the Haydn quartets to Mozart to Beethoven and kind of encountering it for the first time in that sort of an intimate setting, which, which was really how chamber music was originally intended, was kind of magical, especially with you know with friends. And we decided, I'll try not to be too long with this, but there's a side story that's the real reason that the quartet formed, which is that after that festival, and all those reading sessions. The violinist, uh, Bram, who's still in the quartet, we both drove back to Boston from New Jersey and he went to drop me off at my house. And I realized I didn't have my key. So I was locked out of my apartment. I had a roommate at the time. The roommate was at another festival in Vermont. And so there was, there was no way for me to, to get in. So I kind of sheepishly asked if I could spend the night at his place for a couple nights while my roommate mailed the key back to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's really how the quartet was formed because during those couple of days we we talked about making it a real quartet and delving into the repertoire more seriously and who do we want to play with us and and all these sorts of things. So that's where the idea of being a a more long-term quartet was formed.
0: I love that happy accident (laughs) (laughs) of of origin, really. Um, There was something I was curious about. Both of you talked about your history of becoming a musician. That energy where you're playing with someone and and there's an like an exchange or a something's happening between all of you. Can you talk a little bit about that process and and how that works or doesn't work?
2: For sure yeah well I think Isaac you know he told this story about the sort of late night chamber music reading sessions right or parties and while I wasn't at the same ones that he was I joined the quartet quite a bit later but I had very similar experiences uh, growing up in high school and college. Uh, a couple of friends who I still am in another group with and play with even today, they hosted similar, you know, they had like a big, at one point, a big house in Long Island, and then an apartment in New York, they would host, yeah, a group of us, multiple drinks in hand, usually, and we would play this music, yeah, small groups, sometimes bigger groups. And it was really that it was just like an extension of the party that was going on before we picked up our instruments, right? But we, instead of talking, we were communicating through music and what we do. And I think like the more sort of serious and committed you get to any sort of craft, right? But um, ours, with music, these instruments, like there's just going to be a lot of time you're spending alone in the room with that instrument, right? So I feel like that's part of the reason why the stereotype as many stereotypes like start with a kernel of truth right of like <laughs> the, mu- the musician or artist as like the, the au- socially awkward uh mm-hmm. sort of uh slightly you know limited communication skills verbally <laughs> right but then you get put in the instrument in their head and i think a little bit of that It's true, you know, especially like if you've studied it and really developed your craft, the idea is that like you are communicating and in a lot of, for a lot of us, like you're communicating more directly, more powerfully than we are able to with our words, right? Mm -hmm. So just as you, you know, have those moments in a conversation or a verbal exchange where you feel like you're both, you know, you're able to sort of finish each other's sentences and stuff, right? Um, We very much have those moments in the group, in the quartet, where whether it's nonverbal, we just look at each other and sort of decide, oh yeah, let's try to move this this way, or let's try this color, or even when it is verbal, we'll, we'll stop and we'll be discussing something and like, you don't even have to say the whole thing and someone, you know, say, oh yeah, exactly. Um, and I suppose the, the sort of flip side of that is also true, right? Where we reach moments where it feels like, well... <laughs> this might not be reconcilable, you know, <laughs> like we're just, you know, I hear where you're coming from and I think you hear where I'm coming from. And I mean, especially with what we do for our teaching too, it's. I think we're fully aware that most, a lot, if not most of the students we have are not destined for a life as, you know, performers of classical <laughs> music. They may teach, they may, you know, go into other aspects or, you know, not even end up in music at all. But I think fundamentally um, we What we're striving for is, you know, to be more effective communicators, right, with each other and especially with our audiences. Um, And I think that's what we're also striving to teach, um, along with, of course, the, the specific craft that we each are uh, experts in. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big part of it. It's like, how can we get clearer, more direct, more honest with our communication?
3: I also think that uh, chamber music is unique in that in, in terms of as compared to, say, an orchestra, um, for instance, which has a conductor or some sort of one person who's a leader or even a maybe a corporate structure, right, where, where there's like a president and there's a certain pyramid of things. We're really four equals in a string quartet with no one person who has greater authority over the other um, in everything that we do musically and uh, just running mm-hmm. the day to day running of the quartet. And so I think Paramount, the, as Alex was saying, like the number one thing that we do on a daily basis in our music making and in our functioning is communicating and, and learning how to work together, learning how to disagree and, and how to agree. And you know, there, as Alex was saying, there are many moments where we don't agree musically, but the music that we play has that in it. It has struggle and it has reconciliation. And that's one of the, ex- certainly the exciting things when you see a chamber music ensemble perform is that there's this constant dialogue, musical dialogue happening, and it can change from performance to for- performance, even with the same piece. That's really exciting for me, at least. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. How much of the work that you all do is originally created by the quartet? And how much do you build on, you know, a repertoire of music that already exists?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say we almost exclusively play music that has already been written. I mean, it could have been written, you know, last week, but it <laughs> is. Uh, I mean, we ha- there are asp- some pieces that we play do call for <laughs> right. us to improvise. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do some of that, but I would say that's. rarity Uh, usually it's we're creating the performance and the interpretation but none of us are really i don't think would call ourselves composers
1: so i think that's so interesting because even the way that you are talking about it now in terms of improvisation the element of improvisation and also it's your take on a piece of music right so how would you describe the quartet's style and like your approach to interpreting a piece of music if you, if there is such a thing?
3: Yeah, that's a great question because we are obviously playing music of many different styles, always trying to amplify what the composer's written and what the composer intends, but also in our uh, character in our own way. But I think what's unique about us is actually our approach to programming. And I think all of us are very keenly interested in how a, a full performance works and how, you're listening to certain pieces can be altered and changed by what they sit next to. For instance, we have a concert series that we started with. One of the primary reasons was to play all of the Haydn string quartets. And Joseph Haydn, who kind of invented the string quartet, wrote 68 string quartets in his lifetime, which is a really large number of string quartets. So a lot of people, for good reason, don't play all of them in a cycle um, because, you know, last days, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of discussion between us about how we could present these quartets, but also have the audience come away listening to them in different ways than they maybe listened to them before. And I think think as musicians who work on this music a lot, we see what kind of a revolutionary Joseph Haydn was, even though he lived so long ago in, in the classical era, but how he was creating and, and and doing such unique things with every single string quartet and sometimes very wild and unexpected things. So one of our ideas was to pair it with music that's being written today, a lot of really wildly different styles of music so that the audience perhaps, you know, listens to the Haydn in a very different way with more open ears than if we just had a standard program of Haydn and a romantic piece and a slightly contemporary piece, meaning like middle of the 20th century, which is... not by any means, right. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, that was, I was going to ask you when you said you were pairing them with contemporary music, it's contemporary classical music. Yeah, music being written today. Okay. I didn't know if it was like you know, Haydn and jazz or Haydn and hip hop. You know? yeah. <laughs> going all the way back, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, there are different styles too that we, for instance, one of our last concerts, we, we wrote a string quartet that was written by Chick Corea. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so there are different styles that we mix in there. Um, okay. That program, we also paired with a Haydn quartet. And after playing the Chick Corea, playing the Haydn, I was like, wow, there's there's some really crazy rhythmic stuff going on in this in this Haydn quartet that I didn't even realize that having it next to it lets you appreciate it Uh, in a a different way
2: I think both of them yeah Yeah, and I think it's sort of like part of a I mean we're not the only group I think it's an exciting time right now in classical music that I mean if I mean even calling it classical music maybe is like the wrong thing Mm -hmm. right now um but yeah just an idea of really sort of reimagining like what is our canon and what like what are these works that yeah, I mean, this it's a world that has been like pretty conservative for a pretty long time in terms of what audiences are expecting and um, mm-hmm. okay paying for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, To us, I think that it's exciting to sort of be one of the groups that is just sort of hope, helping to maybe blow up some of the divisions of genre or style or stuff and really hopefully, you know, democratize it in a way where it's like, it's not, I don't know. I I just remember there was a concert series a few years ago and the guy requested like that we play a program of like Beethoven, Haydn, and Mendelssohn or something. And I said, you know, know, like, no, I'm sorry. That's not what we do because, you know, we're not in, we don't live in Vienna in in the 19th century. But even if we did, you know, like, what is this about? You know, like, this is... The whole idea is like, this is not a dead art that belongs in a museum, right? But it's, right. it's alive, and there are people still writing music today. And, you know, some of them exactly. are not old white dudes who are have been dead for 100 years. And that's, yes. I think, for us is an important part of um, the kind of music we present and the, the context we present it in.
3: With the conversation, you know, that I often find myself in um biting my lip during of uh, is, is somebody says oh you play you play the uh, violin i just i just love classical music i put it on when i go to sleep at night which <laughs> actually happens quite quite than you might think
1: Ooh, that's kind of insulting to us uh... <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> um,
3: exactly so we'd, we're very much trying to change that perception and show our audiences how alive music is, whether it was written just yesterday or from Esterhazy back in the day of the story.
2: Got you. And yeah, I don't think we're not here also to disparage that music. I mean, I think for, I don't want to speak for Isaac. But, you know, for me, hey, that music is a big part of the reason that I decided to play the cello, you know, like, yeah, right. ah, Beethoven, you know, Schubert, these guys, like those names are household names to us for a reason. But I think, yeah, just to, there's so much more.
1: Well, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about some of the work that you also do connecting, you know, different communities to music, because this kind of lends itself to what you're trying to do with the music itself, but you also have programs in which you you share music, play music, you know, offer space for people to make music in different spaces. So can you talk a little bit about that work that you all are doing?
2: Yeah. Yeah, go for it.
3: I'm sure I'll miss some things and you can fill in the blanks, but we have a few years ago we wanted to reach the community in better ways and it seemed one of the best ways to do that was as a string quartet to become a nonprofit organization. So We incorporated that way and and through that there were several programs that we had been running before that in collaboration with other organizations and and we wanted to be our own drivers a little bit of some of those programs more but uh, we have programs for amateur musicians so people who work professionally doing something else but they love music we call that the living room program and why it's called the living room program is because we offer coachings to those groups and help organize groups of like-minded people in in the community who want to play chamber music together. And then we also organize Uh, concerts for them to give, which are actually open to the public. We have been doing them as a collaboration with the Downtown Central Library in San Diego. And we have uh, programs for young musicians, for chamber music, so middle school to high school. We have a semesterly program that meets on weekends and then kind of a little summer festival. And we very much want everybody to be included in that at various different levels. So we have all different levels of players in that and we we work very hard each year to raise scholarship money so people from all different income levels can participate in that and one of my favorite programs that we have is called the jam session program and this was started as a creative way to figure out how to actively make music with with populations that maybe didn't have any background or experience in playing an instrument or something like that, and communities that are are historically underserved. So one of the first places we launched the Jam Sessions program, which is a collaboration between us and music therapists from an organization called Resounding Joy, was at the San Diego Rescue Mission with participants living there that were transitioning out of homelessness. And we kind of devised this program with active music making, where we would bring just a whole bunch of drums because rhythm is kind of the basis for, for all music. And it started off kind of as a drum circle and led by the music therapists who did all kinds of active music making with different percussion instruments, different body percussion, different kinds of things. Um, and this us and the string quartet would play along with them. And we'd also find about a 10 minute segment of time in there to perform a piece of chamber music for them whether it was something written a long time ago or something written more recently and to have them actively making music with us so we've done everything at that program from like you know playing Mozart or Haydn Quartet and having a whole room full of people on Congos and stuff drawing along to Mm -hmm. us which is pretty cool and helping write songs with them and that for me has been one of the most rewarding programs that we do just to see the the joy that it brings to people who quite often come into the session thinking they're not going to like this being you know maybe they've had a long day and some really struggling things that have happened in their life that day and this is the last thing that they want to see themselves at and then seeing the transformation in just the course of an hour to um, big smiles even like body language just like rib cage opening up breathing better right. like
0: shifting that energy
3: shifting the energy it's it's super powerful for me to watch that yeah
0: you know listening to you talk about your programming it's like a lot of our guests you are involved in the use of arts to heal so I was just curious, is there um, a composer or a piece of music that you feel kind of instantly puts you in that healing space? Like it could be anything like just a particular snatch or section of music or a composer in particular. Or There are a lot of things for me, so I'm trying to narrow it
2: down. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I know. I'm th- I don't think you're going to get one answer here. It <laughs> uh, can be more than one. I was just curious. Yeah, No, I mean, I think for me, it's, I mean, it's some of the, the old names that I keep coming back to, like Bach and Mm -hmm. um beethoven but i think honestly the one we'll have a little clip for you eventually of this one um written a lot more recently um composer named caroline shaw and she's written a whole bunch of string quartets for someone who's not that old but yeah her music sort of i don't know I, i wish i had clearer words on how to talk about its effect on me or what it has in it but I think she really sort of blends, like, that comfort, there's that solace to it, but there's also, like, so much that sort of unexpected twists that sort of keep you engaged. Like, yeah, there's always a surprise coming, and I think, to me, that's one of the ones that keep coming
0: What about you, Isaac?
3: I'd agree with Alex on that one. Um, I also, sometimes I like to think about what are my desert island pieces. If I was stuck on a desert island, what would I want to be stuck with? And there's so many things, but I think um, the slow movement to Schubert's cello quintet is one of my all-time favorites and just puts me on another planet altogether. And also Cavatina from one of the late Beethoven quartets but i also really like music being written more recently um i really like a lot of the kind of minimalist composers and we played several pieces by um philip glass recently that i really find myself getting lost in and other pieces like there's just too many pieces to to
1: Well, you all have a piece that you're going to share with our listeners. So, can you talk about which piece you're going to share?
2: Sure. So, this is a, a little excerpt from a quartet by Caroline Shaw, who's composer I mentioned. Um, she's amazing. She's like a not only composer, but she's a violinist and a vocalist. She's like the youngest composer to ever have won the Pulitzer for composition. And um, this piece is called Valencia, like the orange. Basically, she said. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like you think about, you know, your normal supermarket orange, right? (laughs) But then once you cut it open, you know, there's all these layers we didn't see from the outside, right? And there's all these textures that we don't see from the outside, right? And the little tiny things that explode when you bite into it and all that. So, I mean, she also has, I think she was inspired by another artist that she worked with that just a few months before that, sort of set her on the specific sort of lyrical sound of that piece. But um, yeah, it's this little excerpt is great. And I would also invite all our listeners to check out more of Caroline's work. She's really, I think, just one of the most amazing voices out there writing music these days.
1: All right. So here's a piece from Caroline Shaw called Valencia Clip. That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. The other thing that we've been asking our guests is to share a prompt or some inspirational thought that will help them create a piece of art. So can either of you share something that our audience can use to create something?
3: I was thinking about this. And actually, since we mentioned the jam session and stuff we do there, my prompt would be to take found objects And make music with them, whether it's listening to one of your favorite songs on the radio and playing along, or whether it's creating original music with found objects. Everything makes sound. I I remember one of my early assignments, I was in New York at the time for um, an ear training class was to go ride the subway and write what pitches different things happened at. And I thought that was such a cool assignment and it really opened up my ears to
2: the sounds of the city.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. And all the sounds that we take for granted that are with us all the time.
2: Yeah, totally. I would piggyback on Isaacs. I'd say if you find the object or just sit for at least 30 seconds, as long as you can, stand a minute or two and just listen. And I think you'll find things, whether it's pitches, like a couple notes that you can make a tune out of or rhythm you'll hear a beat and it doesn't have to be something that was supposed to be a beat it usually isn't but take that space in your day to listen with intention
0: i love that i love that turn the soundscape of your life into art there you go there's the assignment well isaac and alex thank you so much we have really enjoyed this conversation and we do look forward to hear literally hearing more from you (laughs) and the rest of the hasman quartet
2: Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for
3: having us. Yeah, it's been been fun.
1: You've been listening to Outside Inside Radio, brought to you by the Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. We are based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside, inside productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. If you'd like to respond to this week's prompt, send an email to pacradio4 at gmail.com. That's P-A-C radio and the number four at gmail.com with the subject line outside inside prompt. We'll select responses to be broadcast on the show during the season. We look forward to hearing from you.